2: Fast Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly. And when technology permits, Jeff Mills will be along. Coming up on Fast Hidden Figures, the one thing missing from today's record jobs report that could have a huge impact on your money. Plus, something just happened in China that's a big bullish sign for Disney, what it is and how our traders are playing it. And later, get ready for The having. Sounds like a horror film, but it's not. Everything you need to know about the major event that's about to take place in the cryptocurrency world. We start off tonight with that historic jobs report of more than 20 million people put out of work last month alone, the worst monthly loss on record. But markets rallied anyway with the Dow ending higher, nearly 2%, and check that this out, the volatility index dropping below its 100-day moving average for the first time since February. So on a day where we find out the US economy just lost a mind-blowing 20 and a half million jobs and unemployment skyrockets to nearly 15% You'd think the stock market would be down, but it didn't. So, Guy Adami, what do you make of that?
3: One would think, and one would be myself, absolutely. You know, look, I I definitely saw the move back to 2790. We talked about that for a while. Kudos to Tim, who's been, you know, I use the word all the time, steadfast in his belief that the pain trade is higher. And here we are. What do I make of it? Well, I guess it is as simple as when liquidity is sloshing around. You know, don't fight these central banks. But I'll just caution you: it's it's good that we'll be talking about Disney later because the market's clearly in my favorite area of Disneyland, which is Fantasyland. And at thirty three ninety three, when the S and P five hundred made an all time high, we were talking about a twenty one and a half times multiple. That's assuming hundred and sixty dollars worth of earnings. If you give the market one thirty now, which is also Fantasy. The market's actually more expensive today than it was at all-time highs. I think it's just something to think about as we head into the weekend, Melms.
2: Something seemed to change, though, about the rally that we saw today and, and, and yesterday as well, Tim, and that is the breadth of the of this rally. It wasn't just, you know, the five biggest tech stocks making their way. They did do quite nicely, granted, this week with infotechnology um, becoming positive for the year. But we did see, for instance, the Russell up strongly today. Equal weight S&P 500 did a percent better than, than – regular old S&P 500. So what do you make of that? Is that more positive, perhaps?
0: It's absolutely more positive. Uh, Brent and, and crude prices are up another 5%. So, I mean, you know, this isn't Space Mountain either, though. I mean, I, I think you have a case here where you have still a very much a, a chasm between the haves and the have-nots of the COVID-19 stock market. Um, and then you kind of have Main Street versus Digital Street, right? Or, you know, Electric Avenue, as Eddie Grant said. You, you have these, these, these Main Street stocks, which uh, are banks, are industrials, are obviously, you know, the direct hit on on nineteen on airlines cruise lines, et cetera, but then you have what, what we 've talked about, which are the fang stocks and, and you know ultimately, I, I do think you have a case here where we 're starting to get a little bit more confidence as as some of the country reopens I, I, I think we 're going to see this in cycles, and I think this is uh, again. Partly just about market positioning. I still think there are a lot of equity shorts and underweights. If you look at the uh, the positioning of the SPY, for example, as an ETF, it's still relatively near where it was at the bottom. If you look at sentiment indicators in terms of the retail audience as opposed to the professional audience, um, they are basically where they were at the lows of March in terms of their bearishness. And I do think that these are factors, even though I don't think equities get away from me on the upside over the next two to three weeks. Um, We need to see the company open up. And then I think some realities are going to tick back in. But I don't see uh, a mass run for the exits because, in fact, I still think a lot of people are not here.
2: I think the other question, too, BK, is, is the jobs report that we saw this morning. Is that going to mark the worst of it? I don't know. I mean, is there going to be another wave ahead, for instance?
4: Right. And so that's that's the biggest question out there. Are, are we looking at temporary or permanent job losses? And so I think that'll go to what's going on in the stock market. The other thing that you have in the stock market here is that the Federal Reserve, and this is not to bash the Federal Reserve, but they've taken away any price discovery at, at, whatsoever. So the stock market will increasingly get disconnected from the real economy. But I think going forward, if we look at it and say, okay, you know, in three months, in six months, what's the unemployment rate going to be like? Does it permanently stay high at 10% or 12%? Then you're going to have erosion of earnings. Then I think the stock market might start to think about, okay, this is not the environment that we had anticipated. I think it's going to be very hard for it to make new highs, but I've been proven wrong before.
2: At the same time, maybe, maybe we are catching a glimpse of what lies on the other side. Guy, it is a Friday show. I don't want to be a complete Debbie Downer on a Friday Mm -hmm. as we close out a very strong week for the markets. Um, Take a look at this chart uh, or imagine it in your mind because you guys are at home. (laughs) This one was uh, given to us and tweeted out by Dr. Scott Gottlieb, the former FDA commissioner. Um, And this shows effectively the U.S. daily positivity rate. So even though testing is becoming more widespread, the positivity rate has gone down, which shows that actually things might be getting better. There are more tests being given and there are fewer positives still. Isn't that a massively bullish, optimistic sign for us, Guy?
3: Yeah, well, if, you, if the only reason you believe the market is here is because of COVID and things associated with it, then I guess the answer is yes. And clearly, I think we're all wishing for the day where you know this is eradicated, uh, much like smallpox was, for example. But I don't think we're that close. So. You know, until we get a vaccine, it's very hard for me to get, you know, all giddy in terms of where we are in the health front. But I understand what people are looking at. I also just want to say that it's so unfortunate for all those people named Debbie out there that Downer has to be associated with the back end of that. Why not Denise Downer or, or, or... Donna Downer, which is actually better if you think about it, but I digress.
2: Or Dan Downer, in honor of Dan Nathan. I thought of that about that many times when I say say Debbie Downer. Downer. I wonder why the Debbie Association out there doesn't contact us with hate mail. Um, We've got Jeff Mills, thanks to technology. So what you make of this week's action, uh, Jeff, which is very strong and and broader than, than past moves higher.
5: Hi, Melissa. Yes, finally made it, thankfully. Um, I'll go back to what Tim said. And look, I've been pretty negative throughout this entire rally, but it does seem like if you look at flows out of global equities, flows into money market funds, um, CFT positioning, still pretty net short. So I don't know that the spark is necessarily there for a major and violent move lower at this point. I think we got past the week of big tech earnings. That was a particularly concentrated area of vulnerability in the market. So if there was a big disappointment, that could have been the catalyst. But again, past that. So near term, I think the pain trade may actually be higher. But looking out past a few weeks or or, or maybe a month or so, I still think that we're going to be dealing with the economic fundamental issue. It seems like the data is just so bad. I mean, we're going to be inventing new charts to try to capture the data that we're getting month over month. Um, It's it's really just unbelievable to see. I think the market's having a hard time internalizing that that data and figuring out what to do with it. So by and large, it seems to be ignoring it. Um, And I think ultimately, that's not going to be possible. I think about what 2021 earnings look like at $165 or $170 a share, which is the forecast right now. That just seems way too high to me. So as those estimates start to come down, the multiple that the market's going to have to carry to support markets where they are today or higher is just going to be too high, I think, to sustain current levels. And I also don't believe that we're gifted some high multiple just because interest rates are low. So we've taken a little bit of risk off the table for our clients just in anticipation of additional volatility in the coming months.
2: All right. Let's talk more about that uh, stupendously horrific data and specifically today's jobs report. Bring in Steve Leeson. Steve, great to have you with us. Um, We've been sort of throwing this around with the traders already about the notion that this could be the worst in terms of job losses. Is that what you're hearing from economists or should we be expecting another wave? Because obviously the first waves were the lower paying jobs. And are we now going to get into the cycle where we see the professionals, the higher paying jobs and potentially a bigger hit to the economy?
1: It's a definite possibility, Melissa. You would get to a point where, well, If there's nobody to boss around, what do you need the boss for? It's possible this goes into, say, a white-collar round of layoffs as well. Uh, Just as an example, uh, the unemployment rate for those with less than a high school diploma is above 21%. For those with a bachelor degree or higher, is just 8.4%. You would think that would be more your managerial class, those with the college degrees. Uh, So they have really been just affected a little bit by this. But I just want to come back to one thing, Melissa, this idea of the Fed put. The the Fed put is in a totally different place from where it's ever been. Hmm. Um, The Fed put was always thought of, well, if the market goes down a lot, the Fed will lower interest rates, and that lower interest rate will filter through and help the stock market. The Fed put in this case is this coming corporate bond facility. The Fed has a put on equities in the sense that if the Fed wasn't in there buying bonds and those bonds went out, went, went to, into default, mm-hmm. the equity could be wiped out. We're, the Fed doesn't have to buy stocks here because effectively the Fed has put a floor under stocks. And to me, when I think about why this market's rallying, It's that guarantee, essentially, that the equity won't be wiped out because the debt won't go bad. That's a huge part of this rally in the markets.
2: It's extraordinary, Steve, to think that this is a blanket debt guarantee for corporate America. And the Fed has not yet spent a single penny on it. And yet here we are in terms of results when it comes to the high yield market as well as the equities market. But what happens, Steve, with this blanket debt guarantee? What happens when the Fed is left holding the bag? If this lasts longer, if it's not just a short-term liquidity crunch, it's not just a short-term uh, you know, period of right. recession, and there's no snapback recovery, things are more protracted. And as you say, companies do, in fact, see their equity wiped out.
1: I, Melissa, I just want to... Uh, apologize if I made you think it's a blanket guarantee. It's not a blanket guarantee. There are some restrictions on it. I believe it's it's four year debt and lower. It's not everybody, and it's obviously not all speculative grade de- grade debt. They're not going to be out there buying that, a, but they will right. buy some, especially the fallen angels. Right, right, right. Uh, I don't know what happens when the Fed, uh, if it should perhaps be uh, end up an owner of these things. We don't I haven't seen all the rules yet for this this program. I thought it was going to be announced this week. I'm not sure why it wasn't. Uh, I'm almost certain it'll happen next week. And you are right about the powerful effect it's had in the corporate bond market. You've had companies like Boeing come to market. All kinds of companies have been World. raising money, which is a good thing. I mean, thing. some, some companies helps to that you think... the market. Yeah, SeaWorld.
2: <laughs> Norwegian, UAL. I mean, the <laughs> list goes on and on and on here. Um, I think Guy has a question, actually. Sorry to interrupt you, Steve.
3: Hey, Steve, thanks for sticking around. So there's been a lot of chatter, a lot written about potentially negative interest rates in the United States. Inside the Fed, I know you're not there, but I know you know people. What what are their views on potentially negative interest rates here in the United States?
1: Negative interest rates gets a double thumbs down from all of the people I know at the Federal Reserve. I think there are so many things they would do before they went to negative interest rates that they haven't even thought about the things they would do before they go to negative interest rates. I, I, I don't think they're going there, at least not right now. They may be forced there, but it really gets back to the conversation you had. And, and apologies to Melissa, why she even brought me on the show, which is this jobs market story. Um, there is a debate out there right now. And debate number one is this is over. This is the worst of it. I have some people even saying you may see positive employment in May based on their uh, upbeat beliefs about what happens with the re- reopenings. Got other economists saying to me, look, there's another 10, 12, 15 million Americans who may lose their job. And that's from a second wave of economic uh, job losses that could come. First wave was because restaurants shut down. The second wave is going to happen because, like, the restaurant suppliers didn't have the restaurants to supply. That's an economic wave. You see that in these lousy jobs numbers. If we get to a place where more is needed, you could imagine the Fed could increase these programs, Guy. You could imagine they could, they could make the uh, rules easier than they are already. Uh, That would be all stuff that would come before the Fed went negative, I believe.
2: Steve, uh, just to be clear, we have you on the show because we love speaking to you. Have a great weekend.
0: Thank you. Yes, (laughs) Steve Leesman.
2: It it sounds like it could be a a market moving event when the Fed actually releases the rules um, by which they will follow their corporate bond buying program, Brian Kelly. Um, And I'm wondering if if there's two reasons why there might be pressure, it could be the rules and the, re- the release of the rules, getting some more clarity on that. But also when the Fed starts buying, do you want to do you want to be should you be selling to the Fed basically?
4: Yeah, so the short answer is yes, or the the answer to your second question is yes. There is an awful lot of hedge fund money, speculative money, that have bought up corporate bonds that are just waiting to plug the Fed. And what we're talking about here, exactly what you brought up, there's a huge difference between liquidity and solvency. Liquidity gets you over the hump until the economy gets opening up again. But if that economy isn't robust enough, Then you have a solvency issue, and the Fed will be holding the bag. Now, again, we can print as much money as possible. The printer will go burr and just keep printing the money, so I'm not terribly worried about it. But I do think that the market has not priced in the potential for insolvencies.
2: All right, we've got some breaking news here on Jewel. Dom
6: Chu's got the story. Dom. All right, so Jewel Labs, the, the, the vaping giant, is now taking another write down. In essence, what's happening, Melissa Gang? Jewel Labs says, and this is according to an internal memo uh, provided to us by a spokesperson at Jewel, is basically saying that as of the end of December, the company's private valuation, according to its own books and models, was roughly $20 billion. As of currently, it is now being written down to roughly $13 billion, so a fairly large write-down. Perhaps no surprise, though, Melissa, guys, because we've known that there's been a series of write-downs, including from one of its biggest shareholders. That is Altria, the U.S. tobacco giant, which even earlier this year took its own write-down of its investment by about four-some billion dollars. So right now what this implies is that Altria's investment of 35% of Joule is rough closely, worth closer to that 4 to $5 billion range. But again, this is now Joule saying that this is what they're doing to reflect some of the issues happening right now. And I will say this, in a, in a statement, they said that they took this step as they continue to reset the vapor category and build the company for the long term. The valuation reflects the overall volatility in the public markets and our near-term updated projections, but still a big deal. Another set of write-downs here, this time mm-hmm. for Juul. Melissa, back over to you guys. So
2: All right, Don, thank you. We go to Tim. Altria was your final trade yesterday, Tim
0: yeah, and this is the lagging effect of private equity right you 're kind of chasing your tail in terms of valuations that 's exactly what 's happened here. Uh, I think Altria has priced this in. I, I think Altria got out there, um, but I, I also think that the equity uh, the equity analyst team following. Altria understands this dynamic. Uh, the the value in Juul right now is as much the customer base, uh, and I think that's something that Altria owns. But um, Altria is heavily discounted. Uh, everything that's going on in vape, in my view. All
2: right. Coming up, it's a small world after all. We'll tell you what just happened in China that sent Disney shares soaring today, and later, Bitcoin breaking above a key level as the crypto world gears up for the great having. BK will break down everything you need to know about this big event. Stay with us.
1: You seek the key.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Apple popping today on news. It will start to reopen some U.S. stores starting next week. Meantime, check out shares of Disney. Jumping as Shanghai Disneyland preps to reopen on Monday. Tickets sold out in just minutes. The park will operate at 30% capacity and have some safeguards in place. Visitors must wear a mask at all times. There will be temperature checks, no parades, no fireworks, social distancing for the rides, and no up-close pictures with, with Mickey or any of the other characters. And that's a huge draw, I know, for lots of little kids. And Jeff, you might know a thing or two about this too. Um, you like Disney though. Do you think this will give us a, a glimpse of what the U.S. park reopening could, could mean and look like?
5: Yeah, I think it's one of the best data points that we have right now. You know, there's the question, if they open it, will they come? And I think this goes a long way to answering that question. And, you know, speaking about my kids, I would certainly rather drag them around Disney World at 30% capacity than when it's busting at the seams with people. So this may even be more of an incentive for folks to want to go, I think. So even if it's operating at 30, 40, 50%, at whatever capacity Disney decides to open the parks, I think the ticket demand will be there. So I definitely think that this is a good sign. I mean, thinking longer term, Obviously, Disney Plus continues to shine. Um, It's a good sign long term that the company is able to innovate and disrupt itself and do it successfully. So I think that's a really good quality for the company longer term. And this was my chart of the week a couple of weeks ago. It's done well since then, but it's still down 25% mm. for the year. So I think the price is still reflecting some of the challenges that the company is likely to face in the coming quarters. But it's peaked above its 50-day moving average. If it can hold that, right. it looks like the next test is going to be around 130. So I think you have some room here, and, and I would want to own it.
2: The question is, is, if 30% capacity becomes 100% capacity guy, and I know that's like a, a mind twister. For, I mean, like it might be confusing, but imagine if, if this is the new normal for Disney— Is that profitable? Does that make the stock work?
3: Well, if they can sell those Drew Barrymore lightsabers for three times the price they were selling them before, then the price works. And I'm not trying to be cute here, but no, clearly not. And listen, I don't think 30 percent is going to be the new norm. But you think we're ever going to be back in the near future? When I say near future, the next couple of years at what was 100 percent, I think not. And, you know, I I hearken back to what Rich Bernstein recently said uh, I think it was Rich Bernstein. I also hearkened back to this uh, Word on the Street column in the Journal and uh, talking about the cash flow problems. And I talk about Tom Rogers uh, with his sort of tepid view on where Disney is right now. So I, the stock's had a great run post-earnings, but remember... Still trades expensively and earnings were down, I think, 63 percent mm. year over year, which for, just think about that for a second for a company like Disney.
2: All right. Coming up, Bitcoin briefly breaking above $10,000. So where is it headed from here? BK is opening up his playbook and later calling a crude comeback. Why options traders are fueling up on big bets of an energy breakout. we got the details when we come right back.
6: Every day.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. We have a Bitcoin alert. The cryptocurrency briefly breaking above $10,000 earlier today for the first time since February. And of course, BK, we're counting down to the having at this point. Apparently, we're having an issue with Brian Kelly's sound, but of course, part of the rise in Bitcoin this week was Paul Tudor Jones reportedly saying that he is investing in Bitcoin, comparing it to gold in the 1970s, and of course, that Bitcoin halving, which hopefully we'll be able to talk to BK a little bit more about, um, which is happening next week. By the way, uh, Squawk Box will have uh, an interview with the legendary investor, Paul Tudor Jones, on Monday, 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time, to get his take on Bitcoin, as well as his Robin Hood Foundation. That group is putting on a virus relief telethon. You can join host Tina Fey for a virtual benefit program, Rise Up New York City, to support the city and the state hardest hit by the coronavirus. It airs this Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern time, right here on CNBC. But of course, Paul Tudor Jones, the big headline here for Monday, uh, first thing in the morning on Squawk Box. Brian Kelly, do we have you back?
4: I think so. Can you hear me now? There
2: you have it. Ah. So is it going to be one of these sell the news sorts of events? Because we know that Bitcoin in the past for past halvings have risen. Maybe everybody knows that now.
4: Right. Well... Yes, potentially. Right. It could be a sell the news event, but that's what everybody's anticipating. So I'm more inclined to go on the other side of that and say, you know, where's the pain trade here? The pain trade is higher. If We look back at the last couple of happenings. You saw a decline in the first 30 to 60 days after the uh, after the happening happened. Right. Uh, right. But we didn't have an environment like we have today.
2: All right. Let's do a quick final trade. Jeff Mills.
5: So, I still like some of the stay at home stocks, and Electronic Arts is one of them, and I think it might have some legs. Uh, its profits have exploded the last couple of months. It has a great balance sheet. Uh, it's up quite a bit, but still trading at only 11 times trailing earnings, so I like it here. EA.
2: Tim.
0: Yeah, chip stocks have been flying, too, and, and NVIDIA has certainly exploded back uh, effectively now to all-time highs back in that level back in mid-February. I, I think you tapped the brakes here. I, again, while uh, they are involved in exciting parts of the chip space, um, the multiple is very inflated, and it's a difficult time to be saying it's, it's time to push to fresh highs.
3: Die quick. Listen, happy Mother's Day to my wife, all the moms out there, and Mel, for the first time ever, happy Mother's Day to you, Nike.
2: Thank you. Don't go anywhere. OA is up next.
7: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, Today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGM, a leading global asset manager.